hit go on this. We are in uh, chapter 14 of the book, uh, Church Discipline. This chapter is, is called Rebranding the Role of Elders. Um, I was under the impression that John was going to be out. Maybe I misunderstood. Was, we were planning to say all kinds of things about you. Know, after, as we were talking, I'm thinking, you know, we're not on the same wavelength. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. I, I really was kidding. Um, honestly, I wanted to start this chapter. Still, still no good. No. All right. Well, we'll send a tech to tech support. So that's right. On page 183. I wanted to start, honestly, with his closing paragraph. It says that shepherding the people of God in a local church can be an exhausting, time-consuming, frustrating, and often thankless task. Naturally, it also has its share of rewards, but at best, it's difficult business. What I have said in this chapter is in no way intended as a blanket indictment of the, these godly men who give of themselves to shepherd the Lord's people, but rather as an encouragement both to them and to the churches they serve to follow the example of the good shepherd, including the necessity of recovering those who wander away and of protecting the church from the impact of those who would otherwise wreak havoc on it. in it. My prayer is that they will find in these pages the encouragement and instruction they so desperately need and seek. And really, I I hope that that's been the tenor of this whole class. Even when we have to bring up examples of groups or individuals, of, of roles or responsibilities that aren't being done in the Lord's way, by the Lord's design, that we aren't doing it by saying, well, shame on them, that's terrible of them, how dare they? But instead saying, okay, there, there's a better way. What's, what's God's way of, of doing this? And so we're going to look at a little bit, um, ba- based on his title, Rebranding the Role of Elders, I, I believe is, is based on the concept of, of, of what our culture, what the denominational world has done to that term. I think they've turned it into something that, that the scriptures don't necessarily teach. And instead looking at wh- what does it mean? Uh, what is their role? What does that imply and, and what doesn't it imply? Um, so to begin, let, let's turn to, to 1 Timothy 5. <coughs> I'm sorry, first, that's actually not the one I want to read. Let's do 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. We're, we're very familiar with this, um, but I'd like us to read it. First Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, 
he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then one more passage, uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 17. And even though in this verse he doesn't necessarily use the the Greek words that we translate as either elder or overseer or shepherd, um, based on the context here, we know who he's discussing. In verse 17 it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Or some translations say unprofitable to you. Let's kind of jump into that first question that I I sent in the email. What are some terms that are used in Scripture to describe this role? And we've heard several of them in the passages that we read. How how does the Holy Spirit describe it? Pastor. Pastor. Bishop. Bishop. Shepherd. Shepherd. Elder. Elder. Head honcho. <laughs> Which translation are you reading from? Overseer. Overseer is, is one, yeah. That's what I meant to say. Oh, okay. Well, we were, we were close. We were close. And maybe we're thinking about the titles that we use. What are some, based on the the uh, qualifications that we've read, what are some words that you would d- use to describe what their what their job is? Shepherd. Okay, and we talked about shepherd, and we're going to get into that quite a bit in this chapter. How else would you describe? Say you're encountering someone, and they've they've never even heard of this role. They have no idea what does an elder do. What would you say? What does the scripture say? Guide. Guide. I think of servant leader. A servant leader. Yeah. Watch. Watch. And what are they watching over? The souls of those that they uh, have been entrusted to. And that is uh, that is a serious role. It's a sobering role. Titus used the word steward. And I think of our our class on stewardship, right? What does that word imply? If you're a steward of something? What's that? You whispered it. Take care of it. You take care of it. And what is it? Whatever you're entrusted with. Ah. It's not your own. It's not yours. Someone has given you this precious thing and said, take care of it for me. And so an elder is not the owner of a business that they created. They are not the king of a kingdom or kings. They are servant leaders. They are stewards of of something. It's not their church. It's Christ's church. They're stewards of something that doesn't belong to them. But the grave responsibility to, to protect and to... Um, help to grow the, the, the people, the souls that, that, that they've been entrusted with. Guard. Guard. Ooh, that's a good one, too. 
guard, protect, which implies what? There are going to be attacks. There are going to be dangers put forward to this <coughs> flock, to this group, to this church, to this body. And the elders are tasked with protecting these people from harm, spiritual harm. Why is it important to identify how the scriptures describe this role and title this role in light of perhaps what we see in some religious groups around us? Why is it important to remind ourselves of what the scriptures say and don't say? So we know what it is and what it isn't. Okay. We have seen, and, and it didn't take long from the first century, it didn't take long for, for those who professed to be followers of Christ to turn that term into something that it was not meant to be. Um, and I think even, even today, I, I hear people, I talk to people who, who use that term, and I think innocently, they, they don't quite understand. You know, they, uh, my father is a preacher, and say, so where does he pastor? Well, I'm actually describing two different things. Those are two different things in the scriptures. To to be a pastor is not necessarily to be an evangelist. But uh, ignorantly, people have have misunderstood the term. Well, and I think also the term has, like any word, the term, then the definitions change, right? Not Not biblically, but in the world. Right. And so when someone says, who is your pastor... They're not talking about who is the elder. They're talking about who is the preacher. So right. Because pastor now has taken on the connotation of the preacher, those who lead, may lead the worship, right? Yeah. And so um, I think that sometimes we have, to, we have to understand where other people are coming from yes. and say, you know, in reality, that is the term that is used, the same term for an elder, but based on the definition and the way it is used today, it has taken on a different meaning. Yeah, and you, you need to show patience, right. you know, because right. they, they've heard it used in this, this way, and they assume that's what it means, and you don't go, ah, wrong, ah, try again, no. But hey, let's, let's study about that. What does that word mean? Um, it's important, then, it seems, that the point that he's making, and it, I don't know exactly this author's background, where exactly he, he comes from, where, where he has worshipped, or, or the experiences that, that he has had. But I believe that I can relate to him in, in the idea of we need to, to take a step back here and look again at the scriptures as to what, what is this role and, and what's the responsibility of, uh, uh, what, what is the responsibility of these men? Um, at the very beginning of the chapter, um, from J.W. McGarvey is a quote that says, First, then, in order to be a good shepherd... The elder must exercise the utmost care to prevent individual sheep from straying away from the flock. And when one, as it sometimes will, eludes all vigilance and strays away, he is to be prompt and energetic in going out to search for it and bring it back. As any good shepherd would, right? Um, He began with this story and... I find find it hard to believe, I don't believe he's making it up, that he was interviewing a group of elders of a very large congregation. I think he said 2,000, was that correct? Mm -hmm. 2,000. And he asked about whether they had practiced corrective discipline, and they said, we've never had to. 
really? You've never had to, or you've, you've chosen not to. Um, and why, why is that? And, and, and his, his point in the chapter is, um, I think we've turned the, the role into something that it wasn't meant to be, or perhaps we've overemphasized parts of the role and we've forgotten what, what other parts of the role are, are necessary. We've brought this verse um, up in, in Titus chapter 1. We haven't already read this one yet. Huh? Um, <clears throat> Titus chapter 1, this is another section that, that lists the qualifications. He says in verse uh, 6, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And we've focused on verse 9 several times recently. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Why should he have these certain characteristics? What's one of his primary responsibilities is verse 9. You're, you're overseeing a collection of people who no doubt are, are going to have different ideas and thoughts and and as they, they lead us in what we study and, and how we study and, and, and trying to protect us from outside influences so that we are not um, tossed about by every wind of doctrine, they are to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine if perhaps there are times when sound doctrine is not being presented, that they may remind us. And also, rebuke those who are openly contradicting sound doctrine. And we spent the last, we spent the last two classes discussing what, what is meant by that. The, the book several times mentions the idea of um, they are not primarily meant to be like a board of directors, right? Operating a, a business and dealing with finances and that there may be times where those types of decisions need to be made um, using wisdom and, and discernment, but their primary function is not what a business would be. We need to make sure that our revenue is this high and our expenses are this low, and that's not their primary function. Um, right? Yes. You asked the question, why, why was that, that the elders in the large group there didn't have any problems to deal with. That they in, uh, in Ephesians 4.3, when Paul says, encouraging the brethren, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. If you look up that word endeavoring, it, it, it entails vigorous effort. It, it's, it's something that's hard. It, it entails hard work mm-hmm. to maintain the unity of the spirit. So, <clears throat> If you get a large group, you're going to be pretty busy. And it's a lot easier to just pretend like, you know, downgrade. 
the problems and say, well, that's not really a problem and that's not really a problem. We don't have to really deal with that. And it's just a lot easier to have uh, superficial peace, quote unquote, than to have the unity of the spirit, which in, in requires a lot of work and effort. Yeah. In fact, the, the ESV translates that as eager. It's something they desire to do, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Now, and let's clarify this early on. Is it only the role of the elders to make sure that sound doctrine is being taught among us? No, but they, a lot of times they are, well, I can't even say that. I was going to say that they are the spear point, but that's not always the case. Either. That's it's not always the case. Is it only the role of the elders to approach those who are living in sin and, and encourage them and exhort them? No, I mean, what, Matthew, uh, what, what Jesus communicated in Matthew is, is in, uh, indicative of that. If a brother sins, you go to him. You perhaps bring two or three more if necessary, and then you bring it before the church. We all have a role and a, resp- a responsibility. Um, in, in fact, what, I want to make sure I'm quoting from the right thing. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm sorry. One. For most of our spiritual life, Dev and I have been members of small, struggling congregations with no elders, and we were always caught up in the thick, thick of the, the problems trying to handle them with the other brethren. And it was very disheartening, very discouraging, very wearisome. It was, it was just a downer in every respect. And when we went to Texas, it was the first time that we'd ever been in a large congregation with elders. And, the glass was smooth, as Deborah put it. You know, we prayed for the elders, and we mentioned to them that we could tell by some of the topics that are being preached on that there are some troublesome things going on, but we don't feel it. The, the general population of sheep were pretty calm and relaxed and settled because the problems were being taken care of by the elders, and it wasn't rippling into the, the flock where we were nervous or anxious or you know we didn't we didn't go to church with uh, butterflies in our stomach because we were nervous about having to deal with something sure i mean it it is when we do things god's way we should be able to notice what a blessing it is right it is a blessing to have godly leadership in your church i'm i am curious how many of you all have attended congregations where there were not functioning elders okay (laughs) i was about 17 before i ever attended a church with them like i had never even experienced it until i was in my late teens um not to say that all problems cease (laughs) as long as i can get into a church with elders and i should never consider working at a church without elders uh i i appreciate very much uh the diligent evangelists who are up in the north northeast where many of those those groups are small and struggling and they don't yet have elders um and i applaud them for that if no one was willing to go to a congregation without elders we we wouldn't have much evangelism happening up especially in the northeast or even on the west right or in other countries um but there is something to be said and and such a blessing when when we see Good men who are, are functioning as elders as, as they should. I've seen a couple of hands here. I was just going to say, and at the same time, when something is brought to your attention because of conversation you have with somebody, 
you know, even in Texas where for the most part the glass, the, the, the water was crystal clear and smooth and um, we had to approach that brother sure. about the things that he was saying that were in, inconsistent with God's word and, you know, try to study with him and stuff. So it, 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 it's one of those things, like in Matthew, not everybody has to know and the water can be nice and clear for you to be able to worship, but there are times where you know things and you are, because of that, you know, you might not feel like the waters are so clear because sure. you're dealing with somebody who does not, is not looking at scripture, is looking at the world and what the world sees instead of what God wants us to see. Yes, and so just because you're at a congregation that has functioning elders does not alleviate you from the responsibility. And we would benefit the elders if we would not simply dump every responsibility onto them. Say, well, I mean, that's what they're here for. They're supposed to shepherd. So they have to do all the teaching and they have to do all the, you know, this is what we study. And they have to address this sinful brother. So I, I noted, or sister, right? They're going through something. So I'm going to take it to the elders so that they can approach this person. That's not the example that we see. Um, but it's nice to know the they have your back. That's correct. Right. Yes. Well, sometimes when we get in that mindset, when we have elders, it's, again, I think kind of a, a, another culture creep thing where we're thinking of the church as a business, and so that's the boss's problem. And so if my coworkers are doing something, I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to do my thing. Mm. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to stay out of this over here. Um, instead of handling it the way God wants us to handle it. Either running to the boss with the problem and talking about your co- which you really shouldn't do that in a business situation. That's true. But we think that you know, yes. I'm just going to go to the boss and let him deal with it or I'm going to ignore it and just you know stay in my little lane and do my little thing and none of that's my problem. Right. And both of those approaches are not what God tells us to do. Correct. I think we would save ourselves a lot of heartache if we would simply treat the church the way it's described in the scripture. It's not described as a business. How is it described? A variety of ways, but how is it described? Family. As a family? <clears throat> a body. As a body? As a flock? Right? And we do harm. We do harm to ourselves and to Christ's church. When we start to treat it like a business or an organization, um, that's not to say there needs, there doesn't need to be structure. There doesn't need to be organization. But God gets to determine how this thing is organized, right? And in the in the sense of a body, God gets to determine who's the head, and it's not the eldership. And in the, the sense of the flock, God gets to determine who's the good shepherd. And even though he allows and, and commissions men to be shepherds, Jesus himself remains the, the ultimate authority. Um, and so if we get nothing else from, from this particular chapter, it's, uh, it's that we need to continue to, to look back at the scriptures and see what, what's, the, what's the role of the eldership? What's the role of the church? What is it and what isn't it? Um, how does God describe it? How does he not describe it? And I think that we would save ourselves um, a lot of heartache. Did I see any more hands? Yeah. I was going to say, 
an older preacher once said, um, use Bible words in Bible ways. Hmm. And I think when we do that, it helps us not to be conformed like the world, but be conformed to his word. And we don't lose sight of exactly what things are yeah. in the Bible or who people are. And that takes some, some studying, right? I hate to break it to you, the Bible was not written in English. <laughs> Contrary to what some may believe, it was not written in English. And I don't know Greek. I barely know English. And so it's going to take some time to go, okay, what, what is that word? In fact, and, and I don't have them all straight here. I was, I was trying to. But there are two primary words used to describe the role of elder. Um. And we, we have found, I don't know why we do this, we have found a variety of ways of translating one word. And we think that helps. I, I don't know that it does. Um, but, but elder, uh, I'm sorry, but bishop and overseer are the same Greek word. And we've seen what the world has done with that term bishop, turned it into something. Well, now there's a bishop and an archbishop. And now there's a, you know, um, in fact, they just dropped the facade after about 100 years and just started creating all their own terms. Um, But shepherd, pastor, pastor is is essentially the same thing as a shepherd, right? And so uh, when someone starts referring to the evangelist of of a local group as the pastor, is that really the evangelist's job? That's, that's not what we see in, in scripture. And so taking time, taking time to, to read and, and, and understand what, what the words were intended to mean um, and what they weren't. Uh, the, the third question that I had asked, <clears throat> if elders are to lead the church in exercising oversight, and that includes at times disciplining those who are, are living in unrepented sin. But if elders are to lead in exercising oversight, what is the responsibility of the rest of the church? Think of ourselves. <laughs> I appreciate how you just, you know, do it so clearly. Behave ourselves, what do you mean? What do you mean? Fall in line, do everything the elders say without question because they're the kings of the castle. Is that what we mean? Well, no, to be like the Bereans and to study, to make sure that what's being taught is true. Uh, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, that's, that yes. is on us also to understand what our roles are and are not. Yeah. You know, some, some, some men that have ambitions and pride have a tendency to overstep their bounds and try to be things that they're not, which causes problems in the church. Sure. There have been times... And not just in, in, in this group, but we can think of, of anywhere where, where my family has attended with, with elders. There are times that it is not a matter of this is, you know, God's doctrinal truth and this is false. But there, there are decisions that the elders need to make that are a matter of their best judgment. And there have been times, I'm sure this is true for all of us, where they may choose to make decisions. And it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of their best judgment. What should be our response? Like with COVID mandates. (laughs) Oh, let's leave that box closed, please. (laughs) But I'm not, uh, maybe we shouldn't. 
Well, I mean, that was a good example because every congregation had a struggle with that. And, and ours, I, I wasn't a, a big fan of the Mass, but when one of the elders got up after they had a very lengthy meeting about it, they said, we are to humble ourselves before our brethren. We are to <clears throat> submit to our elders. We're not going to tell you to wear a mask, but if you have a loving heart and you are going to be conscious of the weaker brother, or however you put it, maybe didn't use those words, we're not going to tell you, but we, we ask you to. And I was like, wow, you know, how could you say no to that after you put it like that? Because the scriptures teach us to submit to one another. And I think there would be significantly fewer conflicts in churches if we would maybe preach on that a little bit more. Those were, and still are, it was still kind of among us, isn't it? Very difficult days where we were asked, regardless of how we felt about vaccines or masks or this or that, distances or where we were asked to submit to one another. Why? Because I'm part of the same body as you, and I don't want to harm a different part of my own body, right? Because we're family. And would I knowingly, I have knowledge now that if I do this, and it's not a matter of right or wrong, but if, if I do this, that's going to that's gonna either put a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister, that's going to offend them or harm them, or that's going to weaken the relationship that I have. <laughs> Romans 14, that's what that is about, isn't it? And so when elders come and say, this is uh, the decision that we've made for this group. We've, we've heard people. We, we want, and, and I appreciate our elders here. I've never had them say, don't talk to us about it. We don't want to hear it. I mean, how often do they say, come to us and talk? Here, here we're putting out a survey. But we've heard We've heard from various sides, and we have to make a decision. And what's, what's our attitude? Is it, that's not the decision I would have made. Maybe it's not. But Hebrews 13, 17 says that we are to obey our leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as to those who will have to give an account. And this is important. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Because their job is hard enough. Their job is hard enough so that when they do have to make those, those decisions based on their, their fallible human wisdom to the best of their abilities, are we going to say, I wouldn't have done it that way. And I know this many people here that don't agree with that either. Is that really what we're called to do? Because if we do that, he says, do this with joy and not with groaning or grumbling, for that would be of no advantage to you. Because we should all be able to, to see, to have functioning godly men serving as elders is such an advantage. Because it sounds like we've experienced groups that didn't have that. But if we're going to make their job so hard, we're, we're kind of removing the advantage of having them in the first place, aren't we? I appreciated when we had the meeting with the elders. 
when they were concerning accepting us into the group, they asked us point blank, are you willing to submit to our leadership? And I thought that was a, it was a surprising question to me. It was a very poignant question and one that needed to be asked, but I had never heard that before. Mm -hmm. well, well, again, I haven't been. <laughs> but I, I thought that was very good. Because if, if the answer was no, it's like, well, okay, this meeting's done. We're doing, <laughs> yeah, have a good life. And what it, what it has not meant, at least in this group, it has not meant we expect you to follow without question. Don't challenge us. Just do what we say. Is that, is, that really, is that really what an eldership should do? No. They're not our kings. Who's our king? Right. Which comes to another point. Elders do not have the right to dictate doctrinal teaching. And I don't care how many of the elders decide we think we should change is that their job their job as titus said was to hold firm to what had already been taught yeah they do need to do that if they believe though that what has been taught is in error correct Right. Yeah. So don't so just do it because it's correct all something. Yes. Then yes, I mean, they have that. And so what I what I mean, I think what the scriptures mean is what has been taught, right. what was taught in the first century, right? So not what has been taught in this location since this church was founded. No, no, no. What did Jesus teach? What did the apostles teach? And that's what we talked about the last couple of classes. Like, what was the doctrine, the teaching, the traditions of the apostles and of Jesus? The the elders, no, no one does, and certainly not the elders. No, no one has the right to say, I understand that's how it was done, but this is how we're now going to do it. So when 600 years after the church was established in the first century, the idea was first suggested, because it wasn't suggested until the sixth century, that musical instruments be introduced into worship. Was it the Pope, because that's who decided it back then, was it the Pope's role and responsibility to say, yes, we're going to alter the tradition as taught and introduce something new? Because apparently what happened was, within that Catholic Church, it was decided by one man, the Pope. I don't actually read about his role at all. <laughs> Where he said, we're going to start doing that. Was he holding fast to the traditions and the doctrine as taught in the first century? No, it wasn't even suggested for 600 years. And so when it comes to doctrinal issues, they have a grave responsibility, as do we, to look in the scriptures and say, okay, are we leading? Are we introducing teaching that is in line with New Testament teaching and doctrine and, and traditions. And we need to obviously submit to those things, but when it comes to decisions that we are, are that they are left to use their best judgment, what if we ask, I mean, let, let's go back to church discipline. And I, I hate to kind of throw, throw names out here, but I, I think it's, it's helpful. Um, well, we don't have to throw names out here, but what if we say, look, we've got a brother or sister over here and they are, are living in sin. I've approached them. I've tried to help them. 
I would, I would appreciate you going to them or, or, you know, can you do something? And it's a difficult situation. It's, it's hard to say exactly uh, when should I go? What should I say? Who should I bring with? Uh, you know, I, I remember talking to Boyd about one of these, these events and he said, I, I don't know what to do here. I thought he should have acted quicker. I found out later that some people thought that I should have acted quicker. But what I needed to do was was trust him to use his best judgment to approach that brother or sister. Maybe I would have done it differently. Maybe I would have said different things. But I need to trust them and submit to them. And if they say, hold off. There's actually a study happening right now. But if you jump in there, it it may actually disrupt things that are already happening. Do I say, yeah, I don't think so. I know better. Or should I be willing to to submit and, and to trust them? I think if we have the kind of relationship with them as a shepherd should have with their sheep, we're willing to have these really open, honest discussions and talk about it. Yeah, Gary. I think the analogy of the body, as Paul presented it in First Corinthians, is very fitting. We, as the body of Christ, need to submit to the head. And as such, when we do so, the, the body functions as it should. You know, picture, picture a human body not listening to the brain, every every part of the body wanting to do something else. It would be a pretty comical skit up front there right now. You know, with somebody just I mean it happens of, sometimes. Kind of doing crazy right? You know, crazy dance. But when all the parts of the body listen to the to the head, everything works as it's supposed to, as it's intended to. Agreed. Agreed. Even, even thinking about our marriage, whenever I tell somebody how long Deb and I have been married, it's a rare thing these days. And they're like, oh, wow, how, how, how did you do that? How, what's your secret? We just tell them we do things God's way, and it works. And sometimes God's way are, uh, we were actually, we were just talking about that with our kids this morning. Um, sometimes God's way is very difficult. Sometimes it feels contrary to our nature, right? I'm sorry, what, Gary? I said, well, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. I mean, self-control is, a, is an attribute. It's a qualification of elders. It's actually one of the ones that's mentioned in both, right? Self-control means I want to do something, and I have to control myself and do something different. Sometimes obeying God is hard, but... What do we understand about God's instruction? It's actually what is best for us. So I'm talking to children this morning. You might want to eat an entire cake. And you've got to use self-control because after you eat that entire cake, is that actually what's going to be best for you? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Trust me, it's after three or four pieces, you know. But that, in, in simplest form, that is what God is telling us, right? You think... That particular sin, the thing that you want so much right now, is actually what's going to be good for you. But God says, I know it's actually going to ruin you. Greed and sensuality and pride 
and anger. Those are things someone spoke you know, mean to me, and my response, I want to get revenge. I want to say something meaner. But God knows you self-control. And so doing what God instructs is often hard. But if we trust him, and we should, we, we should trust him that it's going to be what's best. And so in the, in, in the, uh, in the area of, of church organization, in the area of church discipline, we might assume, and we've discussed this before in this class, we might feel like I see a brother or sister in sin, it would be easier to sit back and just, I don't want to get involved in that. That's going to be, that's going to be messy. That's going to be hard. Is that what's best for my brother, my sister? Is that what's best for that part of the body? I see cancer spreading. And I go, ah, yeah, it's going to be hard. It is going to be hard. But what would be best for that person is for me to try. Now, we've also talked about this. There are going to be times where after our attempts, they still don't want it. It's going to be hard to then do what? What does the scripture command us to do? And use whatever term you would like from the scriptures. Deliver them to Satan. Withdraw yourselves. Have nothing to do with. That's that's hard. But the scriptures teach us that that's what's best for them because that approach, God says in his wisdom, is an effective way, not a guaranteed way, but an effective way of potentially bringing them back. It's also an effective way and a guaranteed way of protecting the existing flock. As hard as it is. And so considering... Uh, the the role of the elders, considering the decisions that they have to make on a regular basis, what can we do to make their job a joy rather than a burden? What can we do um, to appreciate them for, for what they are and what they do, to not require of them things that aren't their job but are ours, And what can we do collectively together um, to ensure, as we've been talking about all quarter, um, to, to ensure the health, the spiritual health of, of our brothers and sisters? Did I see a hand? Did I? Yes. I was just thinking when you said, <clears throat> well, we don't want to get involved because we, we think that's best for us, but really what's best, I always tell Gary, God has given us this opportunity, you know, we don't, we don't want to get in the mess, but to me, when an opportunity like that presents itself, you kind of walk into it, you're having a conversation with somebody and, and find out things are kind of awry. You know, I look at that as an opportunity that God has given us to, to grow and to study right. and to use self-control or practice our self-control to learn how to deal with these things. Um, and on the other, your question that you just said is, 
if we continue to walk worthy of the calling that we've been called, we help our elders. When we are faced with those opportunities that they might not even know about, it comes up in conversation with somebody, um, and we take the time to sit down and study with them to show them that we are helping the elders. Right. You know, nobody else right. has to know. It never needs to go anywhere else. Yeah. You say, well, why don't we look at that, you know? Um, what, what the Bible says about drinking, you know? Let's just pull out the books and see what we can find together. Yeah, and I I think this is true for for all areas, not just when we see that potential discipline may need to occur. Uh, we may feel compelled, and I, I think we all should, that we need to be more evangelistic than we are. So I should go to John and say, we need to be more evangelistic. Can you do all the things so that we can, this church can be more evangelistic? Is that really, is that really what we should? No. I should go out and be more evangelistic. I should encourage those under my care, my wife and my kids. We should be more evangelistic. That is not, it's not appropriate for me to go to John and say, now, John, you Boyd, Bob, like, the church needs to do this more. Maybe that's true. But do you know how we get the church to do that more? We all do it. We all do it. That sounded really sarcastic. I'm sorry about that. What if we think that we need to be taking care of other people, providing for the needs of others, being more benevolent? Is it my job to go to the, 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 the elders and say, the church ought to be doing this more? Maybe that's true. But how do I ensure, as much as depends on me, that that is getting done? I go out and I do it. That's not their job. That's not their job. And I'm adding to them a burden that shouldn't be theirs. If, if, if I feel like I'm reading in scriptures that this is what an active working member of God's kingdom should be doing, then I better get out there and do it. Right? Um, Great. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest things that, that we struggle with a lot of times is understanding or trying to figure out the collective versus the individual, right? Sure. Um, because obviously maybe there's things that the individual can do that the collective can't or vice versa. Sure. And so do we truly understand that? And do we understand, you know, are there more freedoms with one than the other? Or is there more direction for one than the other? And so... You know, I think that goes to exactly what you were saying, that, you know, maybe maybe it's not the church's responsibility to do a certain thing, but maybe the individual, it is his responsibility. Yeah. And so at that point, then, I need to be the one to take the impetus to do that and, like you say, not go to the elder and say, what right. are you going to do to take care of this? Right. right. And, and maybe it's just, you know, my own experience. Uh, I was assigned the role as a deacon of evangelism. And I think with, with a lot of good intentions, several people came up to me and said, I've got all these ideas for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not my role. Can you do that? Go for it. Get it done. I'm one person in a group of 200, all who know the gospel well enough to share it with someone else. And so uh, I think we need, to be, we need to be busy doing what we can do. And by all means, let's encourage each other to do more. Um, but let's not throw that on the elders and say, now, elders, make this happen. All right, thank you. We are going to be jumping into chapter 15 on Wednesday.